Welcome to God's Love Language, a podcast designed for Christian discipleship with emphasis on developing our relationship and fellowship with God. Now, here is our host, Joe Enloe. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Appreciate that. And greetings, and welcome back to God's Love Language with Joe Enloe. I am Joe, don't you know? Well, here we are in February already. Let's get those taxes done. We're currently in our discussion about the second relationship God created, that of a couple and God. Last month in episode 36, I made some comments that have sparked some questions. So this month, I'm going to discuss in depth the marriage relationship and families of origin or extended families. These issues have been used to stack the odds in favor of a divorce for some. Sometime in your marriage, you will, uh, or you have already had this pop up, you had serious discussions about your families of origin, your, where your wife came from or where your husband came from, specifically how much or how little you interact with them. Yes, it is a soft spot. I briefly discussed the leaving and cleaving last month, but it is apparent that a little more time needs to be spent on this subject. I will pick up on the attributes of the offices of prophet and apostle and their contribution to marriages next month. So, in our last episode, I made comments about leaving and cleaving. Here is part of those comments, the ones that sparked the questions. Your once parent-child relationship that transcended, transcended all other relationships has now been replaced by the husband-wife relationship. Parents should step back from a primary caretaker role to one of a consultant when your advice is requested, and only then. All loyalty and commitment must be given to this new relationship over all others except your relationship with God. This requires a significant change of lifestyle, including boundaries, to protect this new relationship that the Lord has brought into being. As witnesses to the marriage, parents, relatives, and friends gave their blessings to it and now must let the relationship grow as God intended it, not the way they want it to. A shift in your relationship with all others has been created, and they must accept it. There will be a fundamental difference in your relationships with all others now that you have committed to this marriage. They are still involved in your life, but in a different manner. In order for this to take place, strong fences by way of strong commitment must be established. You married your spouse, not members of his or her family. Within those strong fences of marriage and a family can flourish. Okay, first, my statements were geared more towards healthy Christian families whose son or daughter left to be married but should apply to all couples. My emphasis was on the development of the marriage and its relationship with God. You have set up a new house with your own rules and its accountability to God. In Old Testament times, a man was exempt from war for the first year of marriage in order to, to make sure he had a to, he was able to establish a foundation of love and interaction uh, with his wife or to make a deeper fellowship and intimacy with his spouse. Nothing was to interfere with that first year of marriage because it was important that you grew together. A solid foundation must be established when you get married. If you were like me, my first years of marriage were living with relatives. It was like they just added another relative to the fold. You know, it wasn't like we had our own space or anything. We had little to no privacy and were unable to establish a firm foundation for our marriage. The relatives watched and heard all of our interactions and shared their ideas with us. 
We needed the opportunity to build strategies and to understand on our own. It would be over a year before we were able to get out on our own. So things didn't go well that first year. Second, the separation and marriage building is important during the first year to two years of marriage, even for second or more marriages if you've been married more than once. Remember, you now have a relationship with your spouse. It's time to develop intimacy. It's a little bit harder when either one of you have children you brought into the marriage. Yes, most relatives mean well, but you each should have learned from your family of origin how the basics of a relationship work if it's done correctly. If you're on a second or third marriage, you should have a good idea by now how to navigate the intricacies of interactions with extended families. Sometimes it's hard, especially with an ex. Third, my statement can be misconstrued to say that couples should not have interactions with their family of origin at all. That is definitely not what I meant. Let me expound. I will begin by saying that interaction with extended family members is normal after marriage and can be healthy to a marriage if the interactions are healthy. And that is key. Let me explain. I have discussed the complexities of the subconscious mind and how it controls 95% of our behavior, all that programming that was done when you were young. The problem is that the programming of the subconscious mind may not have been healthy. Coping mechanisms that were developed due to your reactions to life experiences may be skewed and detrimental to relationships as you get older. Of course, there are many things, good or bad, that that may be programmed in your subconscious mind. That is what renewing your mind is all about. Correct that stinking thinking or faulty programming with the word and truths of God. As you grow up in your family of origin, you learn patterns of behavior that stay with you always unless you work to renew them or change them. As you move into your older childhood and then through adolescent years, your individuality begins to emerge from the influence of your experiences growing up in the family. Your environment also influences who you turn out to be, but to a lesser extent than your reactions to your experiences. Now, see my episodes four and five for a more detailed explanation of what I just said. The point is, you become a new and separate person that will eventually create a family of their own. You begin to differentiate yourself from family, but not totally separate yourself from them, especially if growing up in your family was a psychologically positive experience. You must find yourself while at the same time stay connected to your family. Finding a balance between individuality and family connection is a key to establishing a healthy marriage. Now, you may say that that's not a problem, Then, but then you must consider when you marry someone else, what do they bring into this situation? And what is their family of origin like? It maybe have been completely different than yours if you had a great one, or theirs may be great and yours wasn't so good. The balance is difficult to achieve because of family emotional ties. Families can be powerful systems of intense emotion and loyalty. Women on average seem to be closer to their families of origin than men and usually want more connection with them. But there are men that fit that bill too, especially men raised in a loving Christian environment. 
Have you ever heard that phrase that says, if you have a daughter, you have a daughter for life, but if you have a boy, you have a boy till he takes a wife. Now, having raised seven boys, I, I understand that, and it can be true. I can tell you from my experiences of counseling, teaching, and evaluating clients as I diagnose them in the school system, that how you react to and interact with your family of origin will be one of the biggest reasons that make or break your marriage. Most diagnostic criteria in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual that talks about some of the severe disabilities that are given, it considers uh, one of the factors that usually contribute to that disability or that diagnosis is con- will consider a skewed relationship with one or both parents as a primary contributing factor to their problems. When you get married, you must separate, leave your family, and cleave to your spouse. This is where your upbringing will shine or cause you to falter. But most of this behavior should have been addressed or assessed during your engagement period. There are at least two major ways that separating from your family can cause issues in your marriage. One, having very little to do with them. You kind of, once you leave, you don't look back. You cut them off emotionally. Then second, it's an enmeshed relationship by one of the spouses you are they have a hard time letting go of their family of origin and that family is heavily involved in their marriage they were seem always seem to be there here are some statements that can alert you that you may be having separation issues i have borrowed many of the following ideas from linda mental's book her last name is spelled m-i-n-t-l-e her book is called i married you not your family and other nine relationship myths that will ruin your marriage. She did a great job of putting this subject into words. So why reinvent the wheel? I'm going to use a lot of her information. And here are some of the issues that she listed. You feel guilty if you pull away, have your own thoughts, or do things different. You feel obligated to take care of weaker family members. You decide to guard dangerous family secrets out of loyalty to the group. You are afraid to leave home. You are angry about certain family matters, and consequently you want uh, nothing to do with family members. Those are some of the signs that you may have problems. There are other dynamics that keep individuals from having a healthy separation. There might be a domineering parent that will try and abuse their power and play on emotions in unhealthy ways, kind of a like a white witchcraft, my pastor used to call it. These parents tend to be selfish, very selfish, and want to be the center of attention in their child's life, even after the child has married someone else and gone. Sometimes you feel it's better to let them have their way than to fight it. You cannot achieve separation by avoiding your family. You must confront trouble spots. Now, the ease at which separation occurs usually depends on how well your parents did it and how well they get along now. The healthier your family is, the easier it is to be or to separate and to start your own family. But you never stop interacting with your family. The type of interaction just changes and has time limits. It has boundaries. It is similar to the church of Jesus. We must love our brothers and sisters and interact with them, but not to the detriment of our marriage. You need to retain some of your identity that was established in your family of origin in a marriage. Some of that is what attracted you to your spouse. 
At the same time, though, you need to establish the identity of your one flesh relationship, the merging of personalities, that synergism that's involved. That's the one plus one equals five. Some people confuse independence with emotional cutoff. They don't talk much with their families. They think they are independent, but are not. They have not learned family connection. As a result, family members are emotionally or physically cut off. You just cut them off. Remember what I said about relationship and fellowship? You will always be related to your family of origin, but without fellowship, no intimacy can be built, and you don't want to lose the intimacy with your family of origin. The other extreme is being raised in a family in which you never develop a sense of self because everyone has the same Groupthink, what we call groupthink. That groupthink is a psychological phenomenon that occurs within a group of people, like a family, in which the desire for harmony or conformity in the group results in an irrational or dysfunctional decision-making outcome. Cohesiveness or the desire for cohesiveness in a group may produce a tendency among its members to agree at all costs. This causes the group to minimize conflict and reach a consensus decision without critical evaluation. You just go along to keep the peace, and you don't use your education or your knowledge to offer up other alternatives or other views. These families have also been called enmeshed families. They are too close together. The family message is that you aren't supposed to have independent thoughts. Consequently, you never develop your own voice. You are completely reactive to the people in your family and can't maintain a sense of self or a separate I, as in I, me. When emotions run high and conflict comes, you stay loyal to the family at all costs. Since you don't know what you think or feel, you tend to be easily influenced by others. And these families, members have strong emotional bonds with each other. Loyalty to the family is demanded. Excessive closeness is the glue that sticks everyone together. People are overly dependent on one another and typically overreact to one another. There is little personal separateness. Basically, you have too much of a good thing. You are so connected that you don't know where you stop and the other people begin. You have trouble setting boundaries and making decisions, developing your own interests, and being alone. As you can probably guess, these people have trouble in other relationships. This type of family will try to continue to interact the same when one of them gets married and moves out. In fact, they may attempt to draw the new family member, the spouse, into their dysfunctional system. Now, it's not uncommon that individuals from both these families find each other. Each like some of the qualities that the other family exhibits. Couples form because each one wants some of what the other has. Let's say that our fictional couple, Joe and Mary. Joe come, came from a detached or emotionally cut off family and Mary from the enmeshed one. Joe will be the one that will eventually resent families, Mary's families because he feels they are too involved in their marriage business. Joe can't stand it that Mary talks to her mother every day on the phone. He is upset because he doesn't want Mary's family knowing their business, especially the relationship or financial struggles. Mary will feel cheated because she has to adjust to Joe's feelings and says that his family should interact more and be more like mine. 
Mary was mad at Joe because his family never called. She felt cheated in the relationship. His family didn't know her and didn't seem to care. She couldn't fathom how months would pass without Joe calling his parents. She also began to feel a cool distance from Joe, so Mary began to complain about her in-laws. Eventually, her complaints included Joe as well. You're just like your father, distant and cold. But I'm not like your mother. I'm going to speak up. As attention mounted, Joe spent more of his time at work. He avoided going home and being alone with his wife, knowing she would complain about his emotional aloofness. Why hear it? It only made him feel bad, so Joe and Mary began to see a therapist. They were headed for divorce. In therapy, Joe began to realize his father had always been emotionally aloof. Because his dad had to work and help out the family when growing up, he had little time to be a child. The emotional cutoff was generational. Joe's father learned to cut off his feelings, and he passed that pattern on to his son. Dad didn't know how to teach his son to grow emotionally because no one had helped him. He expected Joe to deal with it on his own. Anything less was whining about what couldn't be changed. Now Joe was acting just like his dad. He was distancing himself from Mary. On the other hand, Mary's tight-knit family created problems for her as well. Her own grandmother had babied her mom since she'd almost died as a child. Grandmother was always afraid Mary's mother would die. Consequently, she was overly attentive. Not surprisingly, when Mary was a child, her mother feared she might become ill and die. Mary picked up on that fear. She learned to be loyal to her mom at all costs, keeping her informed and reassured that she was well. Mary's stickiness was born in fear, fear that something out of her control could happen. She needed the support of her family. That's what saved her mother. For Mary, family ties were vital. The problem was that Mary's closeness was enmeshed or too sticky. When Joe met Mary, he he brought his generational pattern of emotional cutoff to his to the marriage, while Mary brought her strong need for togetherness. Each was too extreme in their reactions. Each lacked balance. For Joe and Mary, to get their marriage back on track, changes were essential. Joe had to develop emotional closeness and marry more autonomy. If they could strike a good balance, they could use their skills to help one another. Now, if you think you fit into one of these areas and would like more information, go to Miss Linda Mintel's book. Like I said, her last name is spelled M-I-N-T-L-E. The book is called I Married You Not. I married you, not your family, and nine other relationship myths that will ruin your marriage. It can be found on Amazon. In her book, she gives some questions that can help you determine if you fit into one of these groups and then suggestions on what to do to improve your situation. If you are not married yet, I would highly suggest that you attend premarital counseling with someone who will explore generational patterns of familial interactions. These issues need to be addressed prior to a marriage. Usually a therapist will use genograms to accomplish this. Remember, your family has probably been practicing their way of interacting for generations. And if it is skewed one way or the other, it could be a potential source of marital stress, even divorce. Your marriage should have its own identity. You start with separating from your family of origin in a healthy way. You grow through trials. See the book of James. It's all about handling trials and why God puts us through trials. 
God will put you through trials in order for you to grow. Your willingness to grow with your spouse will be an indication of the walk you have with Jesus. Your marriage will have a generations of growth in it. Learn to set healthy boundaries with your families of origin, but enjoy healthy fellowship with both. You have the responsibility to teach your children in a healthy environment. Take every opportunity to learn how God wants you to be. Remember, God's love language is obeying His commandments or obedience to His Word. There you will find truth and knowledge and the skills to have a healthy and happy marriage and family. Find that balance of proper interaction with your families. If you can't, then there may be deeper issues to deal with. Go forth and do it better than your family of origin. God bless you. We will be back next month with another episode of God's Love Language with Joe Winlow. Until then, may God bless you and yours, and may he show you love, grace, and mercy as you grow in him. Remember to obey his commandments. Thank you for listening to today's teaching. If you would like more information about our podcast and subject matter, or if you would like to leave a comment, go to godslovelanguage.com. Or you may email Joe at jnlow at godslovelanguage.com.